Thank you very much. And um, earlier in the service, um, Faith read the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. I'd like to um, just let you know what we're doing. The three-week series we're involved in at the moment is on the subject of solitude, getting alone with God. And I'd like to commend Gareth's message last week. If you weren't here or if you haven't already watched it or listened to it, you really must do that. We always appreciate his his ministry, but that was one of the best messages I've heard him say, and, and it, I've listened to it a couple of times. It's really the finest of the week, and you need to um, get into the things he's saying. And he spoke um, about, beast, or we mentioned a few times the verse that Faith mentioned, be still and know that I am God. Okay, I love this, and... I, I'm not really going to talk about that, but I can't resist just saying it a few times this morning. Be still and know that I am God. My subject in terms of solitude that we've been given today is truth in the innermost parts. God wants to draw us to one side to speak to us. And he doesn't want to just speak to us in a superficial fashion. He wants to speak to us in a way that gets deep into us and changes us and makes us different and better. There are some conversations in life that have to be had in private, aren't there? You'd be deeply offended if you belonged to a work team and your boss called you out on something you'd done wrong and, and in, in front of the whole team and said, you disappointed me. That was a bad day at the office. For you. You know, you'd, you'd be going to human resources, wouldn't you, if someone did that to you or had that conversation in public. If um, the elders used the lectern and the microphone here to call out somebody, you know, say, listen, by the way, we didn't like that. In the public forum, you'd think, that's rough. That's just wrong, isn't it? Um, there are some conversations that you have to have in private. And there are some big gaps in some of our relationships with God because we only let God speak to us in, in the meetings or while we're driving or while we're having a bit of a prayer time but the TV's on and the kids are doing... And actually, there are some conversations that God wants to have with us in private. And that's what we want to talk about today. Um, be still and know that I am God. Turn with me, please, to Matthew 6, verse 5 to 7. And let me read for you. Jesus is talking, and he says this. When you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in, secret, in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think, that they will be heard because of their many words. Go into your room and shut the door. Get alone with God. Jesus said this is part of prayer. Get alone with God and he will do secret and public things with you as a result of this. Gareth showed a picture last week in his message of solitude. He found, um, I don't know if it's a place he'd visited or found the picture, it was a stark image um, a, a barren hillside 
with a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it just looked like the loneliest place on earth. And it was a super illustration of solitude, of physical solitude. And a few weeks ago, we were doing a series on prayer and fasting. And I showed you this image because Jesus went out into the Judean desert to, to pray and to fast for 40 days to, to begin his ministry. The devil tempted and tested him unsuccessfully. It happened in this portion of the, the Jewish desert. I thought I'd just put that one up today again just to, to, to set a scene for, excuse me, for solitude and getting alone with God. There's a need, there's a desperate need for us to give God the time that he needs to get into our hearts and to deal with us. And Jesus encouraging us to go to our rooms and to shut the door and, and, and to, to, to do business with God privately, it's not a particularly new idea. Would you do another scripture with me just for a moment? It's uh, Exodus 33. Can you go there? You think, oh no, the Old Testament, we'll never find it. Go on, it's near the beginning. Exodus 33. And Moses, we talked about Moses already. Um, there was a particularly bad patch in God's relationship with the children of Israel in the wilderness. They weren't doing very well and he, he spoke to them and God said to them, you are a stiff-necked people, okay? Um, you're stubborn, you're not listening and I'm not happy. That was about, the, it was said slightly more elegantly than that, but that's about the tone of it. And Moses' response is in verse 7. Have a look, please. 33 verse 7. Moses took his tent and he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. And um, it called, he called it the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. The Lord talked to Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. The people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. I like this verse. So the Lord spoke face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, he didn't depart from the tabernacle. I'm kind of with Joshua on that. I'd want to stay, wouldn't you, if all that's going on. But it's not entirely a place of solitude, but it is a, it's a great idea. Let's get a tent. Let's take it away from the busyness of the camp. This is a camp with several million people. Let's get away from this. Let's pitch the tent away. And the idea is that if we're serious about meeting with God, we can't just do it while we're washing up. We need to stop what we're doing. We need to go somewhere. And we need a bit of privacy. And it's a great thing. And don't you just love this? The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks, do you like that? As a man speaks to his friend, yeah? Um, that's how he spoke to Moses. And it's a great thing that God wants to draw us aside and he wants us um, to be alone with him in that sense. So 
if you are looking through your, your, your Bibles, you can go back to the New Testament to um, Luke 5 and verse 16. This is something Jesus did often. Um, I'll read the verse and then I'll explain it. So he, he, this is Jesus. He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Okay? You've, you've read that before, haven't you? There's another occasion. There's several occasions. There's another one I was particularly taken with. Luke 6, verse 12. says that Jesus went up to a mountain and prayed all night. It was part of Jesus' normal practice, his normal relationship with God, that he would draw aside somewhere lonely and quiet where he could talk to God, a bit like Moses, they could talk like that. It was, it was powerful. We, wouldn't you have wished someone had snuck after him and taken a record of what Jesus said in that? I'd love to know what he did, but we never will. It was between Jesus and the Father. But it, just before that, if you are looking at your Bible, you look at verse 15, the verse before that, it says that things were getting busy for Jesus. It said that people were hearing about him. His fame was spreading abroad. And what was happening was people wanted to hear him, so they were coming. People heard that he worked miracles. So they were bringing sick people and people who needed deliverance. And they were bringing them. And there were thousands and thousands of people that were coming to Jesus. And then the next verse says, So he himself withdrew into the wilderness. You might think that... um, the word often is probably something I should talk about because Jesus got into a solitary place often. It is important. But I've never really noticed the importance of that word so until I was preparing for this message. It's the same use of the words. It was raining, so I put my umbrella up. I was hungry, so I ate something. I was tired, so I shut my eyes for a few minutes. It's the word so suggests that this statement is naturally preceded by this statement. This set of circumstances naturally produced this reaction. He was busy, he was, his star was on the rise, there was opportunities, that, that things were happening, it was great. So he withdrew. Now, I don't think that's necessarily obvious in most of our lives. I think if the Holy Spirit was doing an amazing thing here amongst us, which I think he's going to do, but if we suddenly found that there was a queue right down the high street because people had heard that the Holy Spirit was moving and wanted to come and see and hear what was going on, if the elders got up and said, well, because it's so busy and because God's moving and because dreams are being fulfilled... If Al said, well, me and Gareth are going away for a week, you think, what? You're crazy, we've been waiting for this for years, and you're going away. Yes, we're going to a retreat down in Brixham, yeah? Um, that, that's what we're going to do. You think, well, okay, but why would you leave when all this is happening? In the mind of Jesus, it was the most obvious thing to do, that if there's tons of things going on, I need to get alone with God. Why on earth would I lose myself in the busyness? Why on earth would I put the fruit before the gardener? Why would I do that? And so two very obvious reasons why Jesus often got alone in the wilderness was, as I've just said, he needed to. And secondly, and most importantly, he wanted to. There's nobody who's born again in this room today that's going to say, 
I don't like spending time with God. I don't enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. No one's going to say that. But every one of you now are thinking, why are we talking about this? Because it's a bit close to comfort for all of us. How many of you can say, do you know what? I spend tons of time alone with God. I've got this nailed. We don't. We are hypocrites. We believe it. We don't do it. We, we know the importance of it. We don't do it. We always allow the busyness and the demands of what's happening. And although we, we kind of want to, we don't want to as much as we want to answer the phone or as much as we want to do this or as much as we need to get that sorted. And Jesus saw no higher priority than getting alone. And you could say, well, look, you've just, sorry to sound flippant, but you've just spent half of eternity as part of the triune God. You've been in God's presence since the, before the beginning of time. All we wanted was 30 years. And in fact, out of those 30 years, all we needed was three years. This is why you came. And you keep jumping back to the presence of God. Why are you doing this? Well, because he needed to. And because he wanted to. Nothing, no matter how exciting or important, was enough to distract Jesus. And so he often went away into the wilderness to pray. And Jesus says to us, you need to do this as well. It's not possible to find a desert or to find Gareth's cabin in the barren wasteland. You don't know a lighthouse keeper that will let you borrow it for a while because it's nice and quiet. You, you can't do it, but there must be some room you can go to. There has to be. There must be a shed that you have at the garden. You, you must have a car. You must, there must be somewhere you can go. And Jesus said, you need to go to your room. You need to shut your door. And then we'll deal with each other. It's a really important physical gesture. Um, I don't know how the office etiquette is where you work if you have offices, but I suppose um, I'm, I'm given the gracious use of a, of a lovely office facility and, and, and the staff team know that my door's normally open, so if they need something, they just come in. But if the door's shut, I'm probably with a family planning a funeral or I'm probably doing something. Um, and so nobody disturbs me when the door is shut. If at work your boss says to you, uh, Ruth, can I have a word? Oh, come in, please, and, and shut the door. It's either going to be fabulous or it's going to be... I'd rather leave it open if you don't mind. There's something, even in our culture, that is so different from the culture of the, the Bible in the first century. There's something about, yeah, close the door behind you, please. Or, and where is he? He's in the office with her. And they shut the door. Sometimes shutting the door means abandon hope, doesn't it? It's a, it's, it's a big deal. And Jesus said, God demands this of us. Go into your room, shut the door. It's a physical gesture. We would also suggest leave your phone the other side of the door as well, yes? Shut the door. Basically, what you're saying, and we should do this purposefully, we should shut the door, and we should say to God as we do it, this is it, Lord. There's no one in here except me. There's nobody else to talk to in this room except me. I'm here because I want solitude with you. And the door has to be shut. And I have to confess to you that over the years of knowing that scripture very well indeed, if you'd asked me to quote it and said, what did Jesus say about this? I'd have said, he told us to go into the room, 
and shut the door. I've been misquoting that in my memory all my Christian life. It doesn't say shut the door. It says close or shut your door. I don't believe that's um, just a turn of phrase. I think there's something in that. Shut your door. So when I'm shutting the door physically, so you're saying to the family, to the staff, to anything that matters, um, this is private and I don't want anyone else in here. You're doing the same thing in your heart. So you're shutting your door. And as Christians, we talk about opening our hearts, and that's a really important thing. But sometimes it's a really important Christian discipline to close your heart and shut the door of your heart. And Jesus is saying that God the Father wants us in a physical space, you know, a lonely, solitary place with the door shut. But he also wants us in a spiritual place where the door is shut. So what we're saying is, I'm going to shut this door physically. And as I do it, I'm making a prophetic gesture. I'm closing the door of my heart. So as much as I value all of your opinions, you're not coming with me into the secret place. You stay outside because God's asked to see me on this occasion, yes? So you're not coming in. I'm not taking with me other people's voices. I'm not taking my family's voice. I'm not taking my wife's voice. I'm not taking my mum and dad's voice. I'm not taking my enemy's voice. with me. I'm not taking any other voices. I'm coming to God on my own because that's what I've been told to do. And I'm not taking the devil's voice in with me either. That guy gets to talk to me far too much during a normal day. He doesn't come into the private room with God, okay? He's not coming in with me. I'm shutting my door. And I'm shutting my door to my circumstances. God is interested in my circumstances. And maybe when I get into the secret place, God will bring up the issue of my circumstances. That's for him to do. He controls the agenda. I don't. But Jesus said, shut your door. And so I don't come in with my shopping list. I don't come in with my worries about this or with this. I'm, I am who I am, so I probably bring them subconsciously. But I make a deliberate gesture in my heart to say to God, it's just me. It's just me. On my own, like you asked. For some of us, we'd look and think, what a disappointment. But God is never disappointed with us. He always wants to spend time alone with us. And this is not an optional extra. The thing that I'm saying about Jesus, so he went into the wilderness, I'm saying to you as well, because you're busy, because you have problems, because you've got some honest-to-God issues that need dealing with, because this is real, you need to find a solitude with God often. Otherwise, you won't make it. And you'll never be as useful to God as you would be if you submit to this. And if you enjoy the fact that God wants to spend time with you. I still come back to that verse of Moses so that God can speak to us as a man speaks to his friend. You think, that doesn't happen to me very often. I would ask whether you engage in solitude with God very often. You'll probably find there's a direct correlation between the two. God speaking to us as a man speaks to his friend. And when we get alone with God and we shut our door, we suddenly become more aware of the awesomeness of God and we become more aware that the things we know intellectually about God happen to be true as well. I was um, 
thinking of a, a, a very unimportant incident that happened. It's some years ago. Um, on the funeral circuit, there was a, a Catholic priest, a couple of them that I see very often who have become friends, and one particular guy, he always has a, a nice car. He, he has a two-year-old or a one-year-old car, and he renews it every two or three years. And so it's not entirely unusual to sort of see him with a nice, nice new-looking car. And on this occasion, we walked out of the chapel. He'd been doing services at the same time as me. We were talking about, I don't know, and suddenly he clicks the clicker on a really nice-looking silver Volkswagen... Uh, what's the big one? The Passat, isn't it? It was a few years ago. And it, was, it was immaculate. I said, well, that's nice. Because, yeah, he says, it's the first time I've seen it today. And I just thought he was borrowing it as a test drive. And he said, oh, I bought it. I said, you bought a car that you've never seen. I said, what, did he show you videos or a picture? He goes, no. I said, so you spent £13,000 on a car that you'd never seen before? He goes, yeah. He said, I've been buying cars off that man for 20 years. He's a dealer, a car dealer. And he knows the kind of thing I need. He knows my budget. He knows what I like. And he's never let me down. He always sends me a car that's better than I thought I'd get. And it was just his phrase. I said, but you bought a car that you'd never seen. He goes, yeah, but I trust the man. I could mention some names of people that mean nothing to you that you never knew, but Pastor John Barr, Pastor Mervyn Tilly, Pastor Jeff Richardson, Professor Keith Warrington, Pastor John Edwards. Um, whatever those men said to me, I would take it on face value. And if you said to me, oh, well, I heard some dodgy stuff about them, I'd say, no, you didn't. <laughs> because I know the man. There aren't many people like that, but there are a few over the years who, to me, were giants of Christian integrity, and I know the man. And so if he tells me, then I'm saying, good, nobody's perfect. But, by and large, if they told me, that was good enough. And it's a terrible indictment of who we are sometimes as Christians, that that man, that Catholic priest, that friend of mine, his relationship with his car dealer is a lot better than your relationship with God. Because he trusts the man. And you still question God and double-ask him and behave, hear from God and write it down, think, well, that's good, and still behave as if God hasn't spoken to you. We all do it. And it's a terrible thing when somebody's relationship with their car dealer is better than their relationship with God. I felt quite humbled by the thought. I trust the man. And when we get alone with God, we learn to trust the man, so to speak. And God wants to speak to us, and he wants, I think, to say two things to us. The first thing God wants to say to us is he wants to talk to us about who we are. God has got a lot to say to you about who you are. And if I was to ask you, who are you? Um, I'm a big music fan and I love a lot of the music of the 60s and I've listened to interviews with the Beatles and with people and it seems to me in 1967 and in the later part of the 1960s that people were often going off to communes in India and places and the, the intention was to find the real me, to find out who I really am. Um, there is a desperate need in this age that we're living in for people to find personal security. I'm amazed 
at how insecure so many people are. They are not comfortable with who they are. They don't know who they are. They are insecure. If you work with young people, insecurity is a pandemic all of its own, isn't it? And sometimes there's a diagnosable mental illness that means that somebody will be insecure. But with many people, I look at them and I think, you know, if I made a list of what was worth having in life, you've got it. And yet you're still insecure. I was, uh, Lou was given a Christian book to read many years ago. I picked it up. It was a good book. But the lady was talking about insecurity, a Christian, a born-again, spirit-filled person. And she, I almost didn't read the book because I was so disappointed with the first paragraph. It got a lot better. But she said, I feel insecure. And then I thought to myself, why should I be insecure? Because I am a mother and, and I'm a daughter and I, I'm a this and I'm that. And I thought... If you're trying to find security in the fact that you are a bricklayer or a judge or a pilot or a husband or a wife or a mother or, thank God, a grandmother, if you're looking for those things to provide your personal security, you're building your house on sand. Now, are they important? Of course they are. And I'm so happy if you've got any of those things in your life. And I think those things should be cherished. They should be celebrated. They should be, we should be throwing our heart and soul into all the things that God has given us. But that is not on its own who you are. Who you are is who you are when you've gone into your room and you've shut your door and there's nobody but God. That's who you are. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I so enjoy the opportunity. To, I love the word of God. I love the chance and love to think that I could be a blessing while I'm doing this. And sometimes I feel alive when I'm doing this. But this is not who I really am. I'm not putting on an act. This is part of who I am. But if you really want to know who I am, then you need to spy on me because when I'm alone with God, that's who I really am. Okay? And if you are never alone with God, you can never know who you really are. And you can never feel secure in that because you don't know. This is the truth of the matter. Um, I can't, she's not here so we can talk about her. In the prayer meeting before the service today, Nicola was praying and she, she moved into this powerful, um, it wasn't a monologue, but it was powerful. And what she said was, she said, thank you, Lord, that you know everything about us, you know who we are, and you still love us anyway. That's good news, isn't it? And she, she, she was lost in this thought. She told me I could share this. She was lost in this thought. And she said, there are things, Lord, that you know about me that no one else knows. And I'd be so ashamed if anyone knew them. Now, isn't it wonderful when someone in leadership just reminds us that none of us have arrived, have we? All of us. You know, if God said, come into the secret place, shut the door, and then I'm going to tell everyone what we talked about, we'd be going, Please don't, yeah? Um, and I thought, and also I couldn't help thinking. I thought, I, th I heard Nicola speak like that and I thought things she'd be ashamed for us to know. How interesting. I couldn't help thinking. I thought, I wonder what they are. And <laughs> we thought, well, perhaps Gareth will tell us, yeah? We'll buy him a drink and see if he can relax and loosen up a bit. We'll find out. And um, maybe I, I suggested this and she wasn't up for it she left she was going to stay for the second service I said we're going to give out little bits of paper and you've got to write on it what you think she's ashamed of and then we read them out and if we get any of them right she's got to admit to it yes and then we put them on the screen but she's, she went home um, 
But she's just saying what we all think, aren't we? We are who we are when we're alone with God. And what God wants to say to us is that knowing what he knows about us, he still wants us to be alone with him. He wants to tell us. I made a little list. He wants to tell you that you're his child, that you're purchased with the precious blood of Jesus, that the highest possible price has been paid for you. So in all of creation, there is nothing more valuable than you. Nothing, not the planet Jupiter, not the sun, not anything else. Nothing in all creation is more valuable than you. And the most important thing is that you are mine. I have sought to prosper from those truths. And I have to say that people would be less insecure if they came alone with God and let him tell them what he really thinks about them. Because I hope you enjoy this today. But my most important critique is when I pray and the Lord says to me, you spent too much time on this, you didn't say what I really meant you to say, or you, you got carried away with, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, that's the opinion that I most value, and there are some important opinions here. But we will always be insecure if our security is dependent on other things. It needs to be rooted in who we are as a Christian when we've shut the door and when we are alone with God. So the place of solitude is, in fact, the place of ultimate reality. Everything else is important, but it's not as important as that. Is that okay? The second and final thing, and I finish with this, is I take you back for a moment to the verse in Luke 5.16 that I talked to you about. Um, we talked about, so Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness. You remember that? It wasn't that. Long. Please tell me you didn't zone out. Not quite yet. That, you remember me saying that, don't you? The wilderness is um, translated in my Bible as the wilderness. Some of you might have a lonely place. The Greek word suggests a lonely place is the correct translation. The Greek word suggests several things about the wilderness. The word solitary, the word desolate, the word lonely, the word uninhabited, and this rather fascinating word, uncultivated. One of, the, um, one of the young people who I work with, young men who are not Christians are terrified of getting married. Do you know that? They're frightened. They are terrified. It makes me smile. Oh, yeah, we've been together 12 years. We've got three kids, but I don't feel ready to get married yet. And I'm, I don't know if I'm missing something, but I've not understood how that's less of a commitment. That, but, and, and so I have great fun with this um, because I know most of the young men I work with. I know most of their fiancés. And I often say, oh, happy new year. Is this the year that he's going to pop the question? They go, won't you shut up? All right? I'm, I'm, well, I've got things to do. We can't afford a wedding. I say, I'll marry you for free. I've done, I've done probably 2,000 weddings in my ministry. I've never charged for one of them. I'll do it. It's next Saturday work for you. Shut up. Leave me alone. And there's one particular chap whose name, I'd love to mention it, and he'd never listen to this, but, and his, his fiancée is one of the best people that we work with, she's brilliant, and, uh, and I'm just so, anyway, one of these young men finally bowed to pressure, and he wanted to anyway, and so she said to me, he's asked me, and I said, you said yes, she goes, yes, she said, next Saturday we're going to choose the ring. I said, brilliant, let me know how it goes, send me a picture. I mean, I'm not in the least bit interested in the ring, but I'm just pleased they're getting married. And on, on, um, 
on Monday, I saw him first. I said, how did it go? He goes, don't ask. And so, obviously, I did ask, and I had to speak to her anyway, and I said, what happened? She goes, I told him to, sh to, 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 to do one, basically. I told him to shove off. I said, but you've been wanting this for years. She goes, I know. But she said, he was working that morning, and I said, meet me at Blue Water. We'll go to Beaver, Ernest Jones. We had a real good budget. She said, I wanted she wanted this... She wanted to see it from space, this, this uh, diamond, you know? And I said, so what's the problem? She said, he turned up in his football shirt. He turned up in his West Ham top to buy his future wife. And she told him, quite rightly, to go away. If it had been an Arsenal shirt, she probably would have called the wedding off. And quite rightly so as well. But it... <laughs> he goes, do you think she was overreacting? I said, No. I said, it wouldn't have killed you to make an effort. Um, when I put the word uncultivated up there, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not that you dip your biscuit in your tea or you put the milk in last. I'm talking about uncultivated ground, okay? And I love the idea that Jesus withdrew to uncultivated ground. He didn't withdrew to a landscape garden. He didn't withdraw to anything that resembles that. He withdrew to a wilderness. There were no well-worn paths. There was no farming going on there. there was, it was raw, virgin ground. This is what I'm trying to say, and you've probably, probably beaten me to it. When God speaks to us and says, go into your room, shut your door, and talk to me, he's asking us to come to uncultivated territory. Nobody's been there before. It's brand new. There's no paths, there's no agriculture. It's ground that hasn't been touched since it was created. And God is saying, come with me into new territory because I have new things to say to you. If you read your Bible, especially the Old Testament, you look at God's imagination and how he does incredible things. And sometimes he does them once because he doesn't need to repeat them because he's got so many other ideas and he's looking for people to share them with. And sometimes we say the same things, we, we pray the same prayers because we don't know what it's like to be alone with God and to get into a place of solitude, uncultivated ground that's brand new. And the Holy Spirit is looking for a people who will come into uncultivated ground and say, well, no one else has ever done this. It, it's, it's, it's something I know is on the heart of, of the elders is that we don't just want to grow a church. We don't just want to do it pretty well. We want to do something new. It's never been done before like this. Not just for the sake of new, but because God is a God who's doing something new all the time. We want to be that people, don't we, who are open to new things. And the Spirit of God has been speaking today 